Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome, listeners, to the ninth episode of the Cinema Pathway podcast. We've talked about a lot of things on this podcast, and we've had some running things going through our previous episodes. One of those has been the education of filmmakers, educating future filmmakers and the importance of that. Our last episode, we spoke with LaRue Sarvis Jr., who is teaching youth workshops about filmmaking. Uh, we previously had Egon Stefan Jr. on, who learned his craft in a bit of a throwback way. His father, Egon Stefan Sr., was a well-known cinematographer and he was fortunate to be able to learn his craft through really being an apprentice to his father and coming up through the through the industry that way. Uh, today we're going to continue with that theme. Uh, we have a guest who is a film professor, uh, a filmmaker. He's worked across a number of visual mediums uh, from theater to film and really now into what can only be described, uh, we'll call it new media. I'm very excited to have him on our podcast today. I'm personally really looking forward to this conversation. You, our listeners, will learn a lot. I'm looking forward to, to learning a a lot, and I am happy to welcome our special guest today, Nathan Makita. Nathan, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Howie. Thanks for having me. So, our custom here on the Cinema Pathway Podcast, you and I spoke a bit about your background. Really want to take our listeners back to the beginning. Uh, talk about your journey. You had mentioned to me that way back when you started in theater and eventually evolved to where you, you where you are now. How did all that come about? Uh, my dad was actually kind of the the influence in theater, and he got me started in community theater at a very young age. So I was doing community theater at like six. And my first role was uh, Dopey in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And um, I, I really liked it. I mean, obviously in theater, there's a really uh, great aspect of like community and you meet like a ton of great people, artistic people, creative people. Um, so I did that all the way through high school and decided that I was going to be a theater major in college. And I was uh, I was at the the local playhouse. I'm originally from Youngstown, Ohio. So I did a lot of stuff at the Youngstown Playhouse. And I did get the opportunity to not just be on stage, but also like build sets and run some lights. Like I, I was, I ran the board for like uh, their major production for uh, Oklahoma. Um, I was getting both sides, like acting and doing the behind the scenes stuff. And then when I went to college and I decided it was going to be a theater major, something changed. Uh, I went to Kent State University and, you know, even though it's, it's not a bad theater school, there was something about the change from doing it as community, high school, camaraderie to competition and those dynamics that kind of made me realize, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this as a career because the next step is going to be even more competitive. And I'm just, I'm, I think I love it, but I don't really want to compete. So decided, then I started just jumping around majors, but but I kept theater as a minor. I always took the theater courses. And so I did some more behind the scenes stuff and some lighting, like lighting designs and set designs and um, all that kind of stuff. And then really theater led me to filmmaking. Uh, Kent State had offered a program in their communications or a class in their communications department, like a film class. It was the first one that, that they had done. And my script writing 
teacher in theater uh, essentially was like, hey, you should go take this class. I've always thought your writing kind of works better for film than it does for theater. And uh, so I was like, all right, cool. So I went and took it. I had very little experience other than like goofing off, you know, with <laughs> friends with like old video cameras and editing like tape to tape with like VCRs, <laughs> shoot all day and end up with 30 seconds of like nonsense. But so I went over to that class and where I was able to make my mark was as a gaffer because so the film that we shot, there was a couple films that I shot with this group, but I was able to, because the film we shot had like, uh, it was basically a falling in love story. Two people driving down a road and and they were at different stoplights, like falling in love, right? And no dialogue, just these two cars. And so the big problem with that is we had absolutely like no budget or anything like that. So how are we going to accomplish that? And through theater and moving lights in theater, I was like, it's easy. We're just going <laughs> to black out one side and handheld some lights and mimic the motion. And that blew everybody's mind. And I think that's when I was like, okay. Was it a difficult transition going from theater to film in regards to writing, in regards to thinking about how actors will look on camera versus how they look on stage? Well, that's definitely something that we are always teaching. Theater acting and film acting is is different. In, in terms of switching from theater technically to film, I think theater gave me an, an excellent baseline because my passion is lighting and camera and uh, that's where I like to be as the camera department. But I do also do like assistant director work and producing work. That was my first love. And I feel like theater gave me a really good base for lighting, uh, especially, I mean, everything in theater is lighting. You know what I mean? We're creating, uh, you know, magic and space and depth and select like where we want the audience to look. And that was just a, like a really great education for for cinematography. Yeah. And in theater, we, we can't fix it in post. Um, so keep it on the theme of education. What was the theater, the dramatic arts program like in your high school? Was there an emphasis on it? Was it kind of, you know, an afterthought in the schools? No, we had a really robust theater program. Uh, Mrs. Hodge ran that program uh, for as long as I was there uh, until recently. She passed away. No, it was a very uh, chorus. I mean, band. I wouldn't say that that I had went to an art school, but the arts were at that time primary focus of the school. So we had a nice theater program. Okay. And speaking of art school, tell us a little bit about what you do today. Yeah. So I guess my path kind of like fishtailed through, through a bunch of different things. But after college, which I ended up with a psych major and doing like social work uh, for a couple years, realized I was way too empathetical. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So bartended for a while while I was trying to figure out like, what is it that I'm going to do? It's the best skill someone could have. I, I always say if you've worked in the restaurant industry or like the retail industry, you could work anywhere. Right. I decided I got a kind of an opportunity. Dad switched jobs and started working for EDMC, which is, was the parent company for the art institutes. I had always had the thought and like in that time between, you know, the social work and, and uh, going to film school, I was dabbling. And I got on an NYU thesis set that ended up shooting in Youngstown, Ohio. And I just kept playing in it. And then I was like, you know what? I really, really like it. And I'm going to go to film school. And I got this opportunity and it kind of all was serendipitous. And so I ended up in Miami because it was the only AI with a, with a master's program. And um, I'm sorry, I kind of delineated from your question, but all that education uh, kind of led me into, you know, making films and all that kind of stuff, but also into marketing and um, content creation and photography. And um, 
So I do a lot of different things uh, in that realm. So I do a lot of marketing work for Miami Arts Charter School. And then obviously I teach at Broward College. And then I do a lot of like food photography, um, which is kind of like my little niche in photography. Because when I got my master's, my first job out of there was working for a startup publication called Foodable. And I ended up just diving into food. But it was a really great experience. I did that for five years. I was traveling all over the place, meeting all these CEOs and kind of developed a niche skill set around food. So that's got to be interesting. So how how different is the food you photograph from the food that's actually served and we, and we eat? So to start out, it, it was the food that we served and we ate. But now like I, I do a lot of work for Duffy Sports Grill and uh, it is obviously we style it and there's all these sorts of little tricks and stuff like that. Uh, but the majority of it is the actual the actual food. It's just treated with things that makes it not edible. So different dyes and paint things and we harden things, we soften things. There's like some of the cheeses and stuff is not real and and that kind of stuff and the ice isn't real and but yeah you'd be surprised a lot of it actually is the food do the uh do the crew members make side bets on who's who's gonna eat it afterwards <laughs> no get, get a pretty big pot going uh, we do get to eat a lot though because they make so much food. Oh, I can I can imagine. I yeah, I again working working in the restaurant and food service industry. Well the food stylist is like, let me get let me get like ten burgers, you know, because I gotta pick the best one, you know. And so then she's like, the best is the French fries. We Fr- get- French fries and pretzels are the reason I will never be thin. Right. So going back, what what were really your your inspirations? What movies or you know, being a theater person? Were you more of a, a musical theater, more of a traditional dramatist? Musical comedy? theater. Yeah, for sure. Um I would say I'm not much of a movie buff, which is kind of like my students are always like, Hey, did you see this movie? I'm like, and they're like, How could you not have seen this movie? And I'm like, Well, I don't know. I just I don't know if it's I just don't have time to sit down and watch movies. I would say, you know, I really liked, you know, the work of like Alexander Payne. Uh, one of my favorite movies is is Sideways. I like that just that natural feel. And I think one of my favorite characters is like the the middle-aged man who's going through all those, you know, realizations, his mortality, whether or not he's been a fraud like his whole life. Like I, I really resonate with those kind of things. I would say like that style is what I like. But in terms of inspiration, I think it's the collaboration more than anything. So the working with people, it's the problem solving, coming up with things and like as simple as holding like a can with a regular light bulb in it with a filament and doing this over a car, just moving it back and forth and it looks like we're passing streetlights and the simplicity of that and then seeing that how that worked on on film and being like wow it's those kind of little rewards and i also kind of like that i'm not a movie buff because i feel like my ideas are mine you know yeah you touched on a couple of really good points and and again some topics i've talked about about on previous episodes that there's a difference between being a filmmaker and a film lover and uh just because you're a film lover doesn't mean you're gonna make a good filmmaker and yeah you know filmmakers even myself like it changed how once i went to film school it changed how i watch movies you know you're looking at it's like oh i know why he's doing that camera angle i know why that lighting is there i know what's going on with that i don't want to go so far as to say it takes away the enjoyment uh it just gives a different lens to look through it and you talk about allergen pain sideways one of my favorite movies my wife and i a few years back actually went to california we did the sideways tour we went to a whole bunch of the wineries we ate at the hitching post best meal we've ever had went to solvang where anyone listening if you're in solvang i'm jealous of you if you haven't been solvang is like this little dutch town in central california it's amazing bakeries but it goes back to another topic that we've talked about especially me 
and, and Victor, our, our producer, it's the fact that story has been sacrificed for spectacle. Absolutely. It's gotten away from the story. And I think really the smaller filmmakers, the independent filmmakers, we're able to focus more on story because we don't have multi-million dollar CGI and NFX budgets. And I think it goes back to theater too, where theater, there's spectacles. I mean, Starlight Express is one of my favorites, Phantom and things, but those really, you know, are the... Uh, the story that's on there. Yeah. So, so when you teach theater, you talk about story and even going back, we just talked about sideways. I mean, just what a great example of the story. I mean, yeah, the winery, the scenery is beautiful, but it's really about these two guys. This authentic character that Paul Giamatti plays. Um, and I think Paul Giamatti should have won an Academy Award for that, for that role. And just like, I, raw is not the word. Vulnerable. Yeah. Like the, you know, it opens up the way it opens up and it shows him and it shows all his, he's living basically in a very small space. We see him reading a book as he takes his his morning, you know, shit shower and shave kind of thing. Like all that character development in there is is really great. And I, uh, I show a scene to my students when we talk about like missing scene. Um, it's towards like the end of the film where after, you know, Hayden Christian Church's character gets busted by Sandra Day? Sandra O. Sandra O, yeah. She essentially beats his face in with a with a motorcycle helmet and they go out to dinner that night. They're sitting at the table and Paul Giamatti's character is finally like, oh, you know, we're going to get back to like why we're here. We're going to go have some wine and da, 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 da. Hayden Christian Church gets recognized by the waitress for his, for his other, his character that he played on TV, immediately goes right back into the same thing and hitting, you know, even though he just had this traumatic experience, he's going to go right back to it. And Paul Giamatti's just like, you know, what's wrong with you essentially? And he says, uh, you don't, you don't understand my plight. Gets up, walks to the bathroom and we follow him all the way to the bathroom. And one of my favorite moments is like the door shuts and we're just left with the sign men that's on the door. And I just love how, how much is like built into that, that little sequence. And then that last shot leaving you with the thought like, men, geez, like what's wrong with what them? What's wrong with us? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I just love those kind of things. And as you were saying, we might be losing some of that art form, but some of that some of that storytelling within. And I think it does go back to education a little bit. You know, we could talk about film schools and like the advantages of film schools and things like that, whether or not, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to be uh, uh, negative about things like two-year degrees at like Broward College. But at the same time, the question is, should you be out there just doing it, maybe finding a mentor or should you be, you know, racking up whatever that cost is in, in student loan debt? But that's another conversation. Maybe. We, we And again, we've touched on that on previous episodes, just, you know, the idea of getting out of the mind mindset. You know, you have to go to a four-year college. You have to go to a four-year college, myself included. And just another note about Sideways, because when we talk about the influence of movies and, you know, things you don't realize, some time has passed. But when, after Sideways came out, because of his love of Pinot Noir, sales of Pinot Noir skyrocketed. And because of the scene right before he goes through us, I'm drinking any Merlot, sales of Merlot dipped on that. So it's just, it's it's incredible the um, subconscious impact movies like that have have on our life and and you, you hit the nail on the head it's it's a trade you know it's a trade it's a craft so maybe you know learning it in the classroom is not the best way to learn it how do we get students out of the classroom into the field how do we get them doing more practical learning on that these are some great things to talk about we're going to come back and touch on those right after we take a quick break
And we are back. Today, I am joined by, I'm going to call him a man of many talents and titles, Nathan Makita. Nathan, we were talking about story before and how, especially big Hollywood, they've sacrificed story um, for spectacle. And really, no matter what medium we're talking about, whether it's a two-hour film, whether it's a play, whether it's a 10-minute short film, a commercial, a 30-second TikTok video, all of those are always trying to tell a story. And story is really the core. So as a storyteller, for example, whether you're photographing food, whether you're doing a marketing video for someone, how important and how does the story play into and form the core of everything you do? Yeah. So, you know, as uh, I think most of us know, and probably your audience knows that story is at the core of, of, you know, human existence, essentially, if you're a fan of, you know, Joseph Campbell's writings, and even the kind of the person who's bringing all that back to the forefront, like people like Jordan Peterson, um, if you listen to some of his actual lectures on story and and the Bible and things like that, obviously, uh, it goes all the way back to when we first learned how to uh, paint on cave walls, right? So <laughs> fast forward to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Things that creators today are, are able to do in, in 30 second videos uh, with just, you know, the technology that that's in their hand is absolutely like amazing. And obviously in marketing and filmmaking and plays or anything like being able to capture your audience and uh, make that those moments, that content relevant to them is kind of the challenge, right? I generally, when I'm teaching, I generally start out with the idea of like themes and going back to kind of spectacle over story. Like there's kind of a, there's like a balance here because the superhero movies that have been dominating the space for forever, you know, yeah, they have a lot of spectacle, but the stories were written way before they had the technology to, to do all that spectacle. And I think that's why the superhero movies are dominating because they do actually have good story. Infinity War is amazing. It's an amazing story. It really is. And despite, you know, between that and Endgame, not perfect, few movies are, but who could have done a better job tying up 20 plus movies and bringing all those characters and it literally like ending the way it did. I mean, I, as a filmmaker, I said to one of my professors once, like, if I could have one stand up and cheer moment in a movie that I make, I'll be happy. And Endgame has two or three. In like the first 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not to mention amazing character development. Yeah. Uh, Thanos is an incredibly dynamic character. You know, when he makes the, the decisions he makes, he's not just like a blind villain that has like a one aim, you know, even though it is damn all the costs, but in those decisions, there is moments of empathy with the person who's going to destroy, eradicate half of the universe's population. And you have moments of like, where you resonate with him, that's good storytelling. And that's a superhero movie. And so, you know, Spider-Man, again, themes, like with great power comes great responsibility. Those were already written into those stories, like back in the fifties, you know? So when storytelling, I think, was way better, right? So I do think, yes, there is a certain amount of sacrifice for spectacle. And when the story isn't there, that's when it becomes really like hollow. Like Netflix is spending all this money on all these spectacle movies. Their marketing is also terrible. I don't know how Netflix hasn't realized that nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody knows what's on your platform. You're not advertising it at all. It's the old adage, you know, if there's a problem, throw more money at it. Yeah. And But eventually that pot's got to run out. Right. But they're doing a lot of a lot of spectacle, no story. I think they're suffering because of that. they threw so much money into this into those movies and they, they just didn't hit. You can't have spectacle at the sacrifice of story. Like people will maybe pay to watch them, but 
they're they're going to underperform in the long run because now we need the long run like in order to be profitable you need to have you know the international you need to have the long run uh streaming and all those kinds of things like theatrical release especially after 2020 is tough it is and i think if you're going to go with the spectacle, own it and make it almost make fun of your, the Sharknado movies. Yeah, right. Who cares about the story? You're you're there just to watch the lunacy and the uh, the stupidity that happened. And you also brought up some other really good points uh, with you know the Avengers. One of the things I really like when it comes to stories is is the paradox and duality, especially when the people that are good guys aren't always good. The people that are bad guys aren't always bad. Even Captain America, who's supposed to be you know the most pure best of the best is flawed you know tony stark is deeply flawed go back to well age of ultron which people don't people don't give it the respect because of the spectacle they didn't like like the animations but that movie and what they're talking about is really relevant to everything that's going on today and the end line uh the end exchange between uh ultron and vision is like another great moment i think ultron says like you know you just don't get it and vision's like well i was born yesterday (laughs) There, there really is i mean i I'm, I'm a fan. You know, I enjoy watching. And, and for me, for movie, especially if I'm paying 20 bucks to go into the theater, or I'm paying 30 bucks for snacks. I want to be entertained. I'm not looking for that to change my life. That I'll look at documentaries and other stuff. I think another thing about, especially Avengers Endgame, that they should give credit to the storytelling part of it is it's a three plus hour movie. It doesn't feel like a three plus hour movie. The pacing of it, the editing of it, things that, again, filmmakers, we realize all that. I've watched 90 minute movies that feel like six hours. That's on there. So definitely a, a credit to them. So as an educator, how do you approach teaching that? You started you started talking about that. You start with themes. Right. So so let's get back to that. What's your process for getting students to think that way? Yeah. So I really do focus on themes as because I teach production one and I teach um, documentary filmmaking. So and I can tie in the kind of the theme idea into both of those mediums. So some writers start with themes and start building. Some writers start building and then find their themes. But I want my students to really be thinking about and I use the Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire as a, as a great example of how the theme with great power comes great responsibility is played throughout that whole movie. It's said, uh, actually spoken, and that they can, if they hone in on a really good universal, that's where people will start to resonate because we all similar life experiences and we all have universal, I guess, themes in our lives that when those hit, like in a movie like Sideways, in a movie like Endgame or Infinity War, when those things become present, that's when you invest in the characters. And if you're not getting invested in the characters, you're not holding your audience's attention, no matter how many explosions you have. You can be campy, like Sharknado, and you know, you're in it for the fun of it, but you still have to care about those characters. And I don't think it's as simply, obviously not as simple as, well, are they going to live or die? That's not enough. You need to have some sort of thing that resonating with you on a human level. So that's what I try to do. And then that education into documentary filmmaking, I think is even more important because then that's where I tell them like 100% you're starting with something that you're passionate about. And it doesn't have to be like over dramatic or anything like that, but something you're passionate about, some theme or something that you're trying to, uh, that resonates with you. Because if it doesn't resonate with you, it's not going to resonate with your audience. Yeah. And and you touched, you talked about a lot of good things and, you know, universal themes, everyone, and everybody has a story to tell. Even if you don't think you do, everybody has a story to tell. 
So when I talk to people starting out, I say, write what you know. Start with your right story. You know, start writing your life story. Talk about yourself. Talk about an incident in your life and, and then grow on it. So again, we talk about content. We talk about differences. And if we really boil it down, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The jump from making a 30-second TikTok to even making a 10-minute or an 8-minute short film. But then that door swings the other way, too. It could be even more of a challenge, I think, if you're uh, making short films and you have to make a 30-second video to get to the point. I know me, I am a long form, sometimes too long storyteller. It's difficult for me to boil stuff down. But when you do commercials, for example, you have to get to the point and tell that story right away. So how do you approach that? Yeah. So, you know, in marketing for the high school or whether it's, um, I, I work with a couple independent chefs as well. It's super important. So this is where spectacle, like the switch might happen a little bit here. So that first 10 seconds is the gold. Like you got to lead with visuals because the difference, so it's all digital media, right? And so the difference is, is I'm dealing with a scroll and in that scroll, I may not even have sound until somebody goes, oh wait, that image made me stop. Then it made me actually click it so that I turned on the sound, you know, some people have it muted like me, you know, so when I'm next to my wife scrolling through Instagram, I'm not waking her up. But um, that's where maybe spectacle comes into play a little bit more. And then you can try to get whatever the message is across. Digital media, it's a trial and error. Like, I think one thing that people who may be new to the field or maybe in like intermediary part of their career, they're afraid a little bit and uh, just put stuff out, <laughs> fail fast and reiterate. Um, because honestly, like in that medium, it's, it's uh, people are, are moving so fast. The algorithms, there's, there's so many different things that come into play. The algorithms, you know, right now are favoring video over photo, you know, hashtags are kind of going to the wayside where, you know, an Instagram, if you over hashtag, uh, that's not going to be good. In fact, I've been doing AB testing. I'm finding that if I don't, if I use one hashtag, like maybe because I'm doing something for, let's say give Miami day or something like that, that's way better than me putting like, five hashtags to try to get into these different I get more engagement on that with no like hashtags than than what would have been previous like maybe two two years ago so the algorithms are constantly changing the way that you set it up algorithms favor longer watch times users tend to jump off of videos after maybe like 30 seconds so it's a big kind of like puzzle that you got to solve but again I think spectacle and story in that medium there there may be a little bit of a shift uh just because of the form factor of it and the other thing you know there was a time maybe five years ago where we were all putting out these five minute kind kind of long-winded, trying to be cinematic. And that's kind of gone now too. Like, it's almost like you want to look like you're shooting this with your phone and that you're just doing it organically at this point. So um, it's a constant, like I said, fail fast, reiterate, get the content out. Don't be afraid of it. It's going to be gone. If you're moving fast in your content, your content's buried in like five days, right? So if you had something that didn't perform well and you weren't necessarily like, didn't love it, get it out, keep going. And find the things that are working well for your audience uh, and then just replicate and then fail again and then reiterate again. Has the education caught up to that? I mean, not just looking locally, I mean, even major schools, look at like the NYUs, the USC's, UCLA, even schools like Syracuse that have a great you know, communications program. Do they still focus on the traditional where, you know, film school focuses on film, communication and marketing focus on the old, you know, marketing approaches where, again, we'll use new media. It's something that really people don't learn until they start doing it for work or doing it for themselves. Is it starting to get into classrooms? Yeah. New media is definitely a, a college now, I guess would be the way to say it. There's uh, new media programs all over the place and um, or digital media 
or, you know, it's also going to be in your marketing and your business classes and things like that. So I think film programs. So at Broward College, we actually, uh, we do a special topics course on new media. And we also, the documentary film class, I split it between new media and documentary filmmaking. So we do a pro, we do like a brand story project, which is all focused on finding a brand, creating a long form piece of content, and then breaking that content down into smaller pieces. Cause that's also part of the game is trying to create content that you get multiple pieces out of. And I mean, that's good for branding and all that stuff as well. So so we actually split that course into two. But new media is definitely, I, I haven't looked at all the different programs to see where it's, where it's being offered, but definitely is a field of study today. The content creation field is definitely changing. As we said at the beginning, filmmaking, maybe the future of filmmaking isn't making films per se. It's making different types of content through different media, through different channels that's on, that's on there. And it's just going to continue, continue changing. Yeah. So that's another thing that I tell my students, like in production one, my first class is usually kind of like a quick overview of the industry and what they should expect in the course and then what they should expect after the program and tell them that this field of new media or content creation, whatever you want to call it. And this shift has been happening for a while where everybody needs content. Everybody's on social media. Big businesses don't want to go to agencies and pay $30,000 for a, a brand story video. Rather, they would want to bring somebody in, maybe pay them 70000 something like that and say, hey, you're on staff. You're our on staff content person, right? And anything that we throw at you, uh, you're going to go make. You're going to work because they're, they're going to pull everything that they can out of you. But the smart business leaders and CEOs and, and uh, you know, um, marketing people, they know that at this point, it's like, it's more about the amount quantity than necessarily quality. That could be tough a little bit, but it's also like, if you focus on storytelling and you focus on your craft, there's a lot of rewards in that work. It can be really, really enjoyable. And because it's the best time to kind of be in this business, if you look at it from that perspective, coming out of college, 22, 23, go ahead, go take a job like that. Because that marketing, those skills that you learn and like the mentorship you may get there and the understanding of that, you can take that to, you go make a short film, you got to market it, you got to make content, you got to do all this stuff around it. So you get to use all those skills and you can become a pretty big powerhouse if you take it seriously, take advantage of it and, uh, you know, use it as maybe a, you know, a launch pad. Yeah, definitely sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. Definitely sounds like a lot of uh, thinking has to change, especially for people that are in film school or new media school to think outside the box. I mean, if you go on Instagram today and you search for like, there's all these different content creators that are showing you how they're doing these like cool shots. And it's like, literally, like I saw one the other day, it's like a guy put Jenga blocks around a watch. Okay. And he had, he did it with his iPhone and he had his iPhone and he just had a lazy Susan. Lazy Susan. Yeah. And he just spun these lights and it created these like lights around the watch. And it was a, such a simple set, such a simple setup, uh, Jenga blocks, right. And an iPhone. And the end result was like, wow. And you talk about doing food photography. I've seen the ones where they take a sandwich, break it up and all the pieces on like fishing wire or even even thinner. Then they cut it and slow motion capture. It reminds me of the old, old burger time. Right. And what your your phone can do, the equivalent of what, 240 frames? That's insane. That's another thing that high production value shots out of the phone, the, the slow motion and the time lapses. When I went to school, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess it was. When did I graduate? 2012. So 10 years ago, 240 frames was like like you had to spend twenty thirty thousand dollars or or a fifteen hundred dollar rental to even get close to to that now your phone does it so you know like that's a high production shot just letting the technology the acceleration of the technology and the cost to get what four k video 
10 bit 422. I can get that for what, a thousand bucks now? That's crazy. I have a DJI handheld, the Cube, that does 4K. I've shot in 60. I think it goes even higher in frames per second, you know, a few hundred bucks on that. And it's taken better. You know, we, we filmed the whole, we did a whole film on it. We had to do a chase scene, right. did it, and we just, you know, much easier to hold than, than a full camera. Just had a guy on the dolly yanking him around while he's filming the uh, the chaser and, and the chasey. So it's really made- It's accessible. That, it's accessible. That technology is accessible to everyone. Not everyone, but almost everyone. Uh, we're getting to everyone. Um, it's just learning how, how to use it. It's learning how to use it. It's when the technology becomes democratized, which is what's happening, it is going to go back to who can tell the story. So- that's going to be the differentiator. It's not going to be whether or not, it used to be whether or not you could do the tech. And if you had the tech, now everybody's going to have the tech. So now it's going to be all based on story and creativity. All comes back to story and it comes back to content. So we are going to dig into that a little more right after we take a quick break. But before that, we would like to thank two of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training to the film industry, both inside and outside the United States since 1968. And TV, who offers consulting and production services for entertainment, marketing, advertising, and commercial projects. This is Howard Brand. You're listening to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back on the Cinema Pathway podcast with our special guest, Nathan Makita. So Nathan, we've talked about content, we've talked about story, we've touched on educating. Did you get into educating because you saw there was a gap and a need to teach the kind of thinking that, that you've talked about? I always knew that at some point I was going to teach. Well, when I started looking for for the program. So I was I already had a bachelor's and I was like, okay, do I get another bachelor's? Do I get a master's? And I decided that I needed to get the master's because I always thought that teaching would be something that I would enjoy. So uh, one of my old professors, basically, I, I wasn't going to do it, uh, hadn't applied for it, but one of my old professors hit me up and said, Hey, I have an opening. Would you like to teach a class and an adjunct class and a special topics class? And it was actually, it was actually the new media special topics class. And, um, I said, sure, you know, why not? It, you know, it was like a uh, one day a week and it was yeah six to 10. So four hour class. When he told me it was a four hour class, I was like, Oh, okay. Can I, can I fill a four hour class? So put together, you know, all my stuff for that class. And I, and I went to my first day and I was nervous as hell. And all of a sudden I realized that when you like, when you know something that you can just talk forever mm -hmm. and get some these jokes, like I gotta, I gotta shut up. Like I'm taking too much time, but, um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was even going to enjoy it. And, um, started pressuring him for more classes. And now I'm, you know, I'm teaching like three different classes there. I think what I enjoy about it so much is, and I think maybe my teaching philosophy is maybe a little bit different because I don't, I don't sugarcoat anything about it. I let them know straight up, like this is a hard profession. You have tons of competition and everybody's good. And so you got to differentiate yourself somehow, like, and there's a bunch of different ways that we can do that, but you also have to have a plan of attack because if you're going to film school in Miami and like, yeah, we still get a lot of great commercials and you know, we've got some great businesses and if you enjoy the content uh, route, the marketing route or the content creation route, let's say, you know, there is stuff that you can do here, obviously, in any kind of metropolitan area. There's definitely work. Are you going to make movies here? And that's a question that I pose to them right up front. Then I break it down. And it's like, look, we don't have movies here right now. That may change. But right now, if you're going to graduate in two years, you need to leave if that's what you want to do. And I also 
And if you can't leave and you really think that's what you're going to do, then you got to get into a rental house. That's where you got to go because that's where you're going to meet the people who are doing it. Mm -hmm. Networking is huge in this, uh, in this field, as you know. And so I try to create a balance between it is probably the best time ever to do this because there is so much opportunity, but you have to have a plan of attack or you're going to, you know, waste five years and you need to do it now when you're 22. All right. It's a lot harder when you're, you know, in your thirties and you're married and maybe you're starting a family. And then all of a sudden, because we're talking 12 to 16 hour days, we're talking five to seven days a week sometimes, like if you really, really want to do it. So, and I do, <laughs> and I look out at the class and I, I see them like really like thinking about it, like, okay, do, do I really want to do, how am I going to do this? And they respect me for that because I'm not sugarcoating the reality of it. And like my career, you know, I really, I wanted to do, you know, we were talking about SVU a little bit pre-show. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go do law and order. I wanted to go work six months. I wanted to be on the camera team. I wanted like, you know, whatever full year salary in six months and then take another six months off and maybe go make some movies. That's what I wanted to do. But the reality was I wasn't willing to go move to the cities I had to be in, take on that expense, be single forever, living in like a tiny apartment and trying to make that happen. So totally happy with the way my career path goes. And I still make movies, but they're passion projects. But I get a lot of reward, like I said, from the content side of things. Yeah. I think another important thing, especially for those graduating that, you know, young in early twenties and contrasting it to somebody in their thirties or even their forties is the people in their thirties and forties, you're competing against 22 year olds that not only may have more energy online, but most likely they're willing to work for less. You know, when you have, like you said, a mortgage or kids, when you have responsibilities, it's tough to go back, you know, working for nothing. So to those that are, that are young, if you have the ability to live at home, if you have the ability to, you know, bunk up with other people and work for, it's a controversial topic. I don't want to say work for free, but you know, you're able to work minimum wage and able to get your foot on a door, take advantage of it. I wish I knew that 25 years ago, able to do it. So on that, you know, we're talking about the future. Where do you really see the future um, going in that, in that aspect, especially, you know, we talked about AI, we talked about automation, we talked about, you know, educating. I mean, is educating kept up with the times? Is it still behind? Well, I think academia is always going to be a little bit behind. Uh, it's, it's important for teachers to continue to grow as well in the craft and learn because obviously you can always be learning new things. A lot of teachers, I mean, the adage, is what like can't do can't or if you can't do you end up can't teaching or whatever uh, so a lot of teachers do end up getting stagnant and right. stuck in like you know where they were if they've been teaching for 20 years they're right. stuck where they were yeah. 20 years ago so I think academia is always going to have that little bit of a delay if you're working and you're learning then you just got to bring that forward to your students I was fortunate that a lot of my almost all the, the professors especially really good ones they worked in the industry like you said in their 20s into that and when they decided they wanted to have families it was either leave the industry or that and they were able to find teaching as like the happy medium to be able to still quasi stay in the industry pass on their knowledge that's what i wanted to do um, is retire but they have street cred is, is the best best way and back to your comment about like working for free i i think there is in any art form i mean i do get it, it's a controversial t topic but you got to figure out how to practice and so like the only way you can practice is by making movies right. and they're expensive and we can't i mean i don't know how many free projects i've done i lost count and everybody in this Same. room has no idea how many free projects they've Same. done but that was the only way to, to get my hands on it early on. And to be honest, I would still do a free project today if I if I was passionate about the story and, and, I, and I thought I could learn or push forward my career. The money I make is through the content side, right? Because those are coming from like a whole different scenario, right? So I love the idea 
like we talked about earlier of like focusing on that, seeing like if you can get a couple like clients that you're making a local beer place, a local boutique, whatever, and see if you can get in there and do content for them for a couple grand a month. That's great. You know, and you're still, you're growing your resume, you're growing your portfolio and it still gives you practice. Or, I mean, if you have your phone and you're out taking videos for yourself, offer, hey, let me shoot this video for you free. And you know, if you like it, hire me. You know, if they don't hire you, they don't, but then you have like something to trade on that's on and you start building your portfolio. Yeah, definitely really interesting stuff. We're going to take one more break and we'll be back to conclude uh, this episode of the Cinema Pathway podcast. But first, a quick note to our listeners. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we thank you and ask you to please support us by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And then you can head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. We'll be right back to conclude this episode with Nathan Makita. I'm Howard Brand, and we are talking today with Nathan Makita. Nathan, we talked a lot about the present, the past. Let's talk about the future. What does your future look like? What does the future of this industry and and this massive demand for content look like? Sure. For me, um, I think, like I said, my passion for teaching is kind of uh, taking over a little bit. I'm actually working with our screenwriting professor at Broward College, Morris Fink. Uh, We're going to do something similar to, I think, what LaRue is doing, where we're going to, um, but it's going to be more centered around the students at the school. We're going to be doing some extracurricular stuff in the in the breaks like summer and and winter breaks where we're actually shooting films with our students to get them more set work it is a bit of a challenge uh during the semester to get enough work in but we feel like if we he's a great writer and he's got all these scripts and so we're collaborating on that and we're going to be offering that hopefully this summer i shoot i'm always looking for you know (laughs) a passion project to do i i shoot a couple shorts every year and um right now we're looking for a feature i have a couple of colleagues uh who are trying to get uh, either source or write a feature and hopefully source because the writing takes so long. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, so I mean, filmmaking is always going to be a passion and um, I'm never going to stop doing it. But for me, not something that I'm going to go to LA and, you know, start from, from the bottom and work my way up. So I'll always be funding these things uh, unless... You know, someday we hit a home run and somebody mm-hmm. decides to give us some money. But now I think teaching and uh, the marketing side of things, I have a little boutique agency. Um, like I said, I work with a couple private chefs and a lot of it rotate revolves around food. Um, but um, and you can check out our website, uh, boyroosterfilms.com uh, to see some of our work. Um, we're actually launching a new company called Three Cheers LLC. So we're working on that, um, that website right now. And that's going to launch uh, hopefully before next year. And yeah, so just keep working, learning, practicing and having fun, I guess. Definitely. In addition to your websites, uh, are you on social media? Is there, where can our listeners follow you? It's really funny. I'm in like a love and hate relationship right now with social media, That's even real. though I work in it. So right now I've basically taken most of my stuff to private, but I do have a page called, uh, my current uh, Facebook page is Nathan at work, but you can find my name there. And then my in- Instagram, which I think you have is private right now. 
That's Natimus Prime N8, the number eight, M-I-U-S Prime, like Optimus Prime, because I'm an 80s kid. So you can follow me there, but that's really just like more personal family stuff. If you go to the website, we're going to be launching like the the business stuff because um, we're just, we just started the agency this year. So, so that all that stuff will be coming. That's great. Sounds like a lot of exciting things happening for you. This has been great. You really, I think, opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of things I'm thinking about. I hope our listeners too. Content is king is really what it boils down to. Don't be, have blinders on and thinking that the only content is, quote, a film that's on there. So many different opportunities. So again, want to thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we are happy to welcome you back uh, to the podcast in the future. Awesome. If you want to come back and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Howie. I really appreciate it. Good time. To our listeners, thank you for joining us on the first season of the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We will return with new episodes beginning on January 9th, 2023. Be sure to tune in as our exciting lineup of guests continue to go in-depth about the craft of filmmaking. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Mike Maloney. Our producer is Juliette San, along with associate producer Victor Ferreira and executive producer Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. Happy holidays and we will see you next year. Lights out.